0: I've always been inspired by, you know, the arts culturally and I like connecting with people so I, you know, I was always that believer of like, come on, let's stand together. Naively or not, I always felt there was an importance to what, you know, we're doing here and I still do.
1: With thanks to Baileys, this is the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast, celebrating women's writing, sharing our creativity, our voices and our perspectives, all while championing the very best fiction written by women around the world. I'm Vic Hope and I'm your host for season six of Bookshelfie, the podcast that asks women with lives as inspiring as any fiction to share the five books by women that have shaped them. Join me and my incredible guests as we talk about the books you'll be adding to your 2023 reading list. Today, I am so, so happy to be joined by the one and only Jerry Halliwell Horner. Jerry is an accomplished singer, writer, producer and actress who is widely recognised for her iconic place in British pop culture as an original member of the record-breaking girl group, The Spice Girls. Of course. As Ginger Spice, Jerry played a formative role in the band as they became one of the biggest selling girl groups of all time, with nine UK number one singles and more than a hundred million records sold worldwide. In her solo career, she recorded a number of albums that collectively sold 45 million copies worldwide. She's released two best-selling autobiographies and a children's book that sold a quarter of a million copies in five months. She's also been a Goodwill ambassador for the United Nations, and she has just published her first of a series of children's. Books, Rosie Frost and the Falcon Queen. Welcome to the podcast, Jerry. Hi. It is such a pleasure to have you here to chat about books, and I know you're you're an avid reader yourself. Yeah, I love books. Yeah. What sort of books do you gravitate towards? I probably,
0: um, I mean, I'd read anything, right? Um, if, uh, fiction and non-fiction, but I would say fiction um, that transports you. That really uh, takes you to other worlds. But I like it when you learn something along the way. Um, very motive books. Yeah, I'll read anything.
1: I like that attitude. I'll read anything. Yeah, I not. We, we, we were talking just before we started recording about how you, you've had a few situations recently where you've either been judging or um, having to write a review for books. and. Consuming when you're under a bit of a deadline, or a bit of yeah. pressure, it's it's tricky. It, it sort of changes your relationship with reading. Yeah, it's like anything. If you're doing it, if you're doing something just
0: for yourself, mm-hmm. uh, whatever it is, you know, there's just there's it's just a love between you and that whatever it is. But when there's a third party involved and you will have to, to consider, and it be, it just, I think it just becomes a little bit more mechanical, so to speak. Yeah, but but I'm also mindful because. If you review a, uh, someone's book, I'm I know the the blood, sweat, and tears that goes into writing a novel. So I, I want to be like as kind and supportive as possible because I know it was the hardest thing I've ever done. One of the hardest. You know so how it feels. Yeah,
1: I know <laughs> how it feels. So yeah, and and when you turned your hand to writing, mm-hmm. how did that come about how did it make you feel to put pen to paper I
0: first and I've always loved writing and um I studied English literature before that I was in the band and so and I was doing quite well at A levels and and so I always loved the power of words and then there was I came to a moment in my life I think it was early 30s and I was like uh, I I did this.
1: Uh, it's called the Artist Way, and I don't know yes. if you know it. Yeah, it's it's featured on this podcast before. It, yeah, um, it's a, a novel that's been brought to book yeah. before, and yeah. it
0: makes you do um, little series of exercises yeah. to unlock your own creativity. And after doing that, that's when I wrote my first series of books, Eugenia Lavender, and they were just they were short books, you know, for like young kids. They was like for six, seven year olds, but it was still creative, like a uh, a character that I felt like was missing in the that arena, and that was satisfying. And it, but it also it was very mechanical the way you write it as well. You kind of know your beginning, middle, and end, and it's short and and um, but then. Uh, years later and life happens right and um, you know everyone has ideas and but I've always been a character-led person and I was thinking oh I'd really like to write a novel you know long novel but older and um, and then I went I got a new agent Christopher Little who discovered Harry Potter I thought well he knows what he's doing (laughs) and (laughs) and I said oh should I just age up Eugenia and he said no start again which I did and but it was a baptism of fire because writing a novel oh my god the discipline and the strategy you need behind it so there was me with you know pen to paper that loving characters but having the sort of discipline and experience to do like plot lines and make it putting it all together that's a different you know skill set in itself you know I've always felt sure of character Um, but it was almost like I I felt compelled to do it and I was
1: learning as I went that's why it took me so long (laughs) This is part of the reason um, just to return to what we were saying before why being able to sit with A novel or a character and allow them to breathe and grow and develop with you is so important when you're reading and why having to read so fast it often doesn't give them that space yeah to sit yeah
0: to really sort of allow that like every word matters because when you write a book do you know what I mean you have well you don't have to but it it, like for me every word counts and because you're asking a commitment from the reader to stay with this book um, I always try. I always try and write for the reluctant reader as well as the, you know the bookie that will, you know will devour anything. But for the ones that not necessarily pick up a book, so to make it engaging, page turnering, and also I like it that you're going to get you're going to get real sustenance out of it. Hide vegetables in chocolate, <laughs> so it, it, the page turns, but then actually it's going to touch your soul if you want it. Yeah. That's what I tried.
1: That's what I tried to do. Well, we're going to talk about the books that have given you that sustenance yeah. okay. over the years, over the, your your entire life, Jerry. And your first bookshelfy book is the story of Tracy Beaker yeah. by Jacqueline Wilson. Tracy Beaker is a funny, imaginative, articulate 10-year-old girl, but she can also be angry, impulsive and a little bit violent too. Tracy lives in a children's home, but constantly hopes that her absent, glamorous mum will come and take her away. One day, Cam visits the home to write a piece on the children. Tracy, being something of a writer herself, resolves to help out. The two form a bond and Tracy begins to wonder if Cam might represent a way out of the home for goods. What impact did this book and Jacqueline Wilson's work have on you? Okay, so Jacqueline Wilson, I think she's incredible. She's
0: absolutely incredible. And I, what I like about this writing, first and foremost, is that it's, it's not airbrushed, it's scratchy, mm-hmm. it's, it's real, but done in a very digestible manner. That's sometimes topics that you might feel a bit uncomfortable. And, um, and so, Tracy Beaker, she's, as you said, she's angry, and, and, I th- and it's sort of understandably so, and that's real. And it sort of maybe gives you permission to be. Um I think they really lend themselves importantly to that time. Um in the in the spectrum of things, I think for for any child to pick up that book, there's something very fresh about it of its time as well. And then what I've gotta go on to say is that Jacqueline Wilson has been like instrumental in my writing. She I I met her. She loves dogs. Okay, so I met her. I think one of the first places I met her was at um, Battersea Dogs Home, okay. and she's just an absolute dear heart. She's lovely, and and I said to and my first draft of my current book that's out, Rosie Frost, um, and this, so this is like nine years ago. And the characters have stayed the same, but I've developed, developed, developed. And she read that first draft. And that I have to say, it wasn't probably in the best of shape, right? Must being generous. But she was so generous with me and encouraging. Um, and then what she did was she introduced me to Jane Eyre. She was giving talks on Jane Eyre and she she invited me to those talks. And then so it, she was sort of masterclassing me in, in a way. And... Um, you know, and then to be able to, seven years later, to give her, say, look, I, I carried on. I mean, there's been a whole journey since then. But, she, you know, to give her a finished product and, you know, she she read it and then endorsed it and said it was, you know, it was, she gave very, very positive comments to me. And I was like, to have someone that really, uh, like, mentors you and champions you is, is such a gift. And she's such a nice person. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna say everything she touches is amazing. So chapeau to her.
1: And for someone who's been so instrumental, so impactful and inspirational to you as well, to, yeah. to be able to see the development in your work, yeah, it's like the the most epic tutoring you could Yeah, I feel like she was a big part of every young girl's life. Yeah, I remember at school, we would pass her books around like they were gold dust. Mm. We would talk about them they formed the basis of our understanding of the fact that we're all different and everyone's going through something. You never know what someone's going through. I remember there was Tracy Beaker, there was The Bed and Breakfast Star, there was Bad Girl, there was um, Illustrated Mom. They taught us empathy because they taught us that behind closed doors, anything could be going on, but we need to be kind to one another. Yeah. Actually, so the book that I've currently written,
0: is slightly maybe slightly older is a sort of you can be 10 but she's a 13 year old girl but the the actual dna of what you were just talking about that don't judge a book by its cover we're, we're sort of we're, we're more alike than different probably yeah. on the inside but as you never know what's going on with somebody and giving each other
1: that grace um which i just think is such an important value yeah, it's to a have what lesson uh, for for all the young people girls and boys reading. But then we don't want
0: to be preached at. And I yeah. think it's really important that, you know, books, you know, they are wrapped in chocolate and they're funny and adventurous and move with pace because otherwise it's boring. Who wants to be bored? Do you know what I mean? So I think if you can find that balance of, you know, there's a little bit of sustenance in there, but then it moves with pace yeah. and
1: that's brilliant. They will laugh out loud funny books. Yeah. All of Jacqueline Wilson's novels. Um and just the cornerstone of of growing up. What what were you like growing up? Were you an avid reader then? Yeah, I've always been. Yeah, and super studious. Um, I got to,
0: like I come from a working class background. Okay, and so I was at this one particular school, and they and this uh, what for girls grammar. They picked two kids from my school to go to that, you know, very sort of academic school, yes. and uh, which was a privilege, but. I always lent on books, to um, because we didn't have much money. Um, so when everyone else was going on holiday, I would just read. You know, they transport me to another, pl- another time, another place. Whether it was Lion, the Witch* and the wardrobe, or at the time, or I think it was quite Enid Blyton, yeah. I'm like the naughty girl in the school. Yeah. Um, so um, I've always lent on books. I just love the escapism. I can literally ignore the, like ignore the world for that moment, and dive into a good book. I
1: love it. So from getting lost in in these books, turning to them for your entertainment. How how did you make that transition to become the entertainer? How how did performance enter your life? You know, I always love music. There's another form of
0: medium. I like. It's a bit like when you write a book or you write a song. The only way I can describe it to someone that doesn't, if they've ever baked a cake or made a meal and made someone go, "Mm, (laughs) mmm.
1: It's a good feeling, isn't it?
0: (laughs) It's a good feeling. And um, I would say that's a really lovely thing to be able to do, to connect. I think ultimately I love connecting with people, sharing. I think that's a really nice thing. I think as human beings we want to do that. So having the, the opportunity through music to do the same thing is just a different
1: medium, which I absolutely adore. Your second book, Shelfy Book, Jerry, today is I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings Mm. by Maya Angelou. Yeah. Which is one of the most widely read and taught books written by an African-American woman. This is the first of seven autobiographical works written by Dr. Maya Angelou, published in 1969. It follows Maya's life from age three up until age 16, where we learn of her unsettled and often traumatic childhood, where she endured both rape and racism. Maya wrote this book as a way of dealing with the death of a friend and her own experiences of discrimination and extreme poverty. But why did you pick it? Oh, my God. First of all, I think
0: Maya Angelou is my hero. I think she's absolutely amazing, you know, spiritually. um, intellectually and she's sort of a bit of a polymath she's like crosses over into so many mediums you know she likes to dance, she likes to write, she likes to s- yeah. all sorts of things poetry, everything and you know she's' full of wisdom and full of heart and that book that touch, you know that's quite a hard read and you know the topics it touches but she sort of she's one of these people in life. And and she's no longer with us, but she she turned her politely put she turned her her poop to fertilizer. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. She owned her power through very very difficult you know situations. She turned it into power, which is so inspiring. Um, you know, she stopped speaking. You know, and I always think sometimes through literature you know, it's the, it's, it can be the voice for the voiceless. You see, she's empowered others through her own honesty, um, through her own, you know, trauma, and to have the courage to share it is incredible. And then she wrote this poem also called um, Phenomenal Woman, which is amazing. I actually made it into a song. Then I asked the... I had to get permission from the the Maya Angelou estate, which, which they agreed, but... I just find her
1: just wonderful and ahead of her time. One of the most incredible voices, um, not just of a generation, but of several generations. Yeah. She's taught us all. I, I learned her words through my mum who passed them down to me, who passed down from her mum. And I hope that that continues. Yeah. She, I think she's
0: timeless. Yeah. You've just said it. Her words of wisdom are so full of heart. heart. They're timeless, which is... It says m- so much about her. That was, I would say that she's worth a read. Yeah. That that book is worth reading. Or beyond her, beyond that book, if you just want to, like, just look at some of her writings.
1: And then what I like about her, she did lots of things as well, which is quite inspiring too. She stood up for so many people, and you used the word power. Yeah. There. She empowers her readers. She empowered herself. She stood for power and basking and standing in your own power, um, so I do have to mention girl power. Yeah. Is it as important now as it was 30 years ago when it was a slogan that you stood for? I think power, you know, is, is something
0: that we, we all want to feel. And sometimes we can feel completely powerless. It doesn't matter who we are. And, you know, that word, girl power, I think, you know, there's always an evolution. Mm-hmm. You can go deeper. It can go wider. And it can go for everyone. And um, you could, I ultimately it still stands strong for me, absolutely. But I think it's 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 existed before I said it. You know, look at our predecessors. Okay, Maya Angelou, she had it. Then go back a bit more. I don't know, Emmeline Pankhurst, uh, Frida Kahlo, she had it. Uh, go back to um, okay. So I touch on the tu- you know the Tudor times. Queen Elizabeth I, she certainly had it. You know, I think it's existed beyond. You know, and it goes on. It goes on, and it gets richer and and um, and deeper.
1: How important are positive role models for girls to you? Cause, I mean, I know Eugenia Lavender, who we've mentioned, um, your book series centred on the adventures of a positive female role model for young girls. Yeah. Um, Rosie Frost and Falcon Queen. Yeah. Why is this important to you? I always try and feel what everybody else
0: is feeling you know, what is it? And if I really am honest, that I just felt, I looked at the world as we stand today and I felt that like the world needs a new hero, 100% because we can look at, you know, those alpha girls that, you know, can do everything and, you know, are fit and strong and, you know, fantastic. Well, that's great. But actually maybe we need an ordinary hero that and and maybe her power is, is isn't one that's, comes from within it's like about finding the courage that you never knew you had maybe that's a that's 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 a hero and maybe one that shows weakness through vulnerability maybe the new hero is vulnerable and maybe that takes far more courage and and could i write a story that you know has characters that imbue those qualities and but also the characters around her like bina I mean, she's really intelligent, but you know, she likes wrestling. Um, but then um, the the boys the boys cry in this in this story, and the girls save the boys. Um, it's, it's a modern day hero. But then we look back at the past. You know, it's entrenched. The school that it is is entrenched. The DNA of it. It's a. Mo- it's set in the modern times. But it's but it's entrenched in history. It's built by Queen Elizabeth I in honor of her mother, Anne Boleyn. Um, who was smart and brilliant, but was shamed by a misogynistic pig because, you know, he wanted something different and, you know, the, the sort of vipers around that court. So I felt back to Rosie Frost now. She she embodies what I feel what we need, a bit of hope that it's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to feel angry or sad. And and sometimes um we're going to have to face challenges, and but and it's it's watching her story face those challenges that hopefully will inspire you, yeah. in a very very like fast, positively aggressive way. You know the story just moves. You know it's adventure, um, and it's for any age as well. I hope I think just knowing you just briefly, I think oh I think you you might connect with it. Yeah. You know, it's got, it's got a squid game fastness to it, not quite as violent, <laughs> but it's got that uh, feeling to it. Um, but then it's in, like
1: enriched with history. So if you've got that, if you want it, and conservation, if you want it. Well, this is what I always say about young girls and boys is that, you know, we keep saying, oh, you can be anything. But the truth is, you can also be everything. And I love when a book gives you so many options. You don't have to fit in any box. There is there is so much power to be found in all different places. It's exciting to go out and find it. That's so nice. I think if you can see it, you
0: can be it. Yeah. And that's what I always try to have. Very real characters that we can, we can champion and root for. But they're they're in their own lanes. And aren't we all?
1: Bailey's is proudly supporting the Women's Prize for Fiction by helping showcase incredible writing by remarkable women, celebrating their accomplishments and getting more of their books into the hands of more people. Bailey's is the perfect adult treat, whether shaken in a cocktail, over ice cream or paired with your favourite book. Check out baileys.com for our favourite Bailey's recipes. If you're looking to learn more this year, then we recommend the How To Academy podcast, a biweekly show from London's home of big thinking. They invite the world's most exciting leaders, scholars, and entrepreneurs to share their ideas for transforming our lives and the world. Past episodes include Bill Clinton and James Patterson on creative partnerships, Isabel Allende and Gloria Steinem on feminism, The late Madeleine Albright on diplomacy, Noam Chomsky on the politics of the climate crisis, Melinda Gates on philanthropy, Mariana Mazzucato on the consulting industry, Lise Doucette on the future of Afghanistan, and much more. If you want to know how Nobel Peace Prize winner Maria Ressa stands up to dictators, how comic book pioneer Alan Moore boosts his imagination, or how Chelsea Manning fights for a more transparent society, you'll find out with How To Academy. They have episodes featuring a few of our own favourite women authors, including Kate Moss, Maggie O'Farrell, Anne Patchett and Claire Fuller. The How To Academy podcast is your one-stop show to broaden your thinking and hear from the artists and experts shaping our world. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Well, Jerry, let's talk about your third bookshelfy book, and we've had what I picked. <laughs> don't but... worry, I'll give you blips. Um, well, we've touched on history, and it's Hamlet by Maggie oh. O'Farrell. Oh my God! Yeah. Oh, oh my God, indeed. This is, of course, a Women's Prize-winning novel which explores the short life of Hamlet Shakespeare. This is a tenderly written, and emotionally devastating account of the Bard's only son. His name was given to one of the most celebrated plays ever written. What was it about Maggie's extraordinary writing that drew you in? And this book that left a scar on my heart. Right.
0: And no, what a beautiful way to put it. (laughs) It, It's probably I would say it's a a bookworm's kind of book. Mm. It's not a reluctant reader's book, if I'm honest. Um. If you love books, you I would say you love this book. It's absolutely brilliant. This for so many reasons. Okay, first of all, it's really um, cleverly idea. You know, written from the point of view of being uh, of Shakespeare's wife, Agnes. Agnes, and she's like seen as wild and misunderstood. That's that's interesting in itself. It's really original. Mm-hmm. But and then this book will tore my heart open. I was sobbing at anyone can any bookworm will I like I'm in bed, okay, my husband is next to me and he's looking at me and I'm sobbing, looking at him. No, I'm just ignoring him and just sobbing into this book. It's so, so heartbreaking. And he's like, what the hell is yeah. going on with you? And i am just leave me alone. And it's then it's in the power of an to, th- to do that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that was so if I always, if it can really touch you like that, and it's quite, it's really, it's a hard read. But then the other thing is, you know, I I studied uh, Hamlet at school, so to t- so cleverly to to put that sort of the icebergs, the undertones of why Shakespeare did, wrote that is, and then here's the other thing, and you get a sort of a tapestry of history. So at that time, the bubonic plague was happening. And um, and when I was reading it, I think COVID was happening, right? <laughs> Layers, though. Layers. Better. Yeah, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and she describes, and this is another layer where she cleverly does, she describes how the flea jumps off as they're on the boat, how this so this treacherous flea trans transpires the, the 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 plague from I think it was a sort of scarf I might be getting this wrong because I read it a while ago but I'll never forget this the way it went from one carpet to the scarf to the human being and the way it does it you're just like oh my god it was really it really gets you yeah. And um, I thought that was really clever because it sort of broke another wall. Yeah. It broke. She broke another wall. So I thought that was really clever. And then seeing it from like Shakespeare was not perfect. You're thinking, are you, know, you 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 cheating on her? You know, you've gone you've gone for weeks and left her, you know, it humanizes
1: everything, which I thought was really clever. She does this thing with historical fiction where it sort of recontextualizes our present. It makes us look at the things that are going on right now from a new light. Yeah. She she gives voice to the voiceless. Crucially, um, like you said, the perspective of Agnes, Shakespeare's wife, a figure largely lost yeah. from history. Are you, are you drawn to women's stories? Okay, so
0: you just said how if we look back... Um, is it Shakespeare said it's like the history is our prologue, right? And um, so, okay, so I'm absolutely fascinated with the Tudors, always have been, right? And then I thought, okay, let's look back from another point of view, Anne Boleyn. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I I started really unpicking, actually, if you look at her from a human point of view, she was your age, probably 30, not even 30, and like you, and she, um, she had a, not even a three-year-old daughter, and it's going to be executed. For what? And who wrote that narrative to say what she did? And, you know, and, and I sort of researched a bit more. She was into the NHS in reform, and she, was, she wanted to use the Crown's money for the greater good, and Cromwell didn't like it. And, you know, and she, and she hasn't provided an heir a male heir and so you think oh my god this is horrendous this is poor woman what she went through so I sort of looked at it from that perspective what can we learn from that and bring it into the now and you know and to see it from that perspective and you suddenly get oh my god and then she was mother to the greatest monarch of her time Queen Elizabeth the first so I do like looking at
1: history yeah and th- that's not the way we're taught it in schools and crucially history is not a science it's very much a narrative yeah. that is written by someone whoever has the power and has decided how we are to view the past yeah when we flip it and when we look at it from someone else's perspective we can reclaim our voice mm-hmm. so often um i personally i i love trying to look at history from different perspectives, yeah. specifically women's because so often they have been silenced. Um, and who wrote the history as well? Exactly. That's another thing you have to ask ourselves, who wrote that? I think I think you realize that it, it's not fact and it's not truth. And it's important for us to, to constantly keep reframing. Um, Jerry, you played such a huge role in feminism in the 90s. Arguably, you encouraged a whole generation of girls and young women to speak up for themselves, to find their voices, yeah. to reframe that power. Did you realise the gravitas of that movement when it was happening? I,
0: maybe I, I've been always been inspired by, you know, the arts, culturally, and I like connecting with people. So, I, you know, I was always that believer of like, come on, let's stand together you know I was I was charity monitor at my school I was one of I was that girl come on let's do this (laughs) (laughs) me too I was charity monitor at my school (laughs) there you go I was that and um so naively or not I, I I always felt there was an importance to what you know we're doing here and I still do you know, uh, if I, when I think it's, you know, is this worth it? This is worth it. And I feel compelled. My instinct drives me a lot. You know, emotion and instinct. I think I care about, I care about the word. I care about you. And, you know, there's, it's really lovely when you see, you know, other people inspired or connecting and going, yeah, just, just like I was inspired by someone. I go, oh, yeah, that helped me. But, and I think we pull each other over the wall. Support comes different in different ways, in different places. Sometimes you might not have the parents to give you that. They not, might not be present for, for no fault of their own. And so if you can find it through literature or music or each other, friendship, whatever it is, I think that's a, a wonderful thing.
1: On the subject of um, that support, you talked about Jacqueline Wilson yeah. um, and how she'd supported your work um, a little earlier. and upon your meeting she was delivering a, a seminar about Jane Eyre. Yeah. Which coincidentally is your fourth. Yeah. Shelfie book. Yeah. Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. This was Charlotte Bronte's first published novel and was immediately recognised as an important work when it appeared in 1847. This classic gothic story follows a defiant, fiercely intelligent woman who refuses to accept her appointed place in society. And instead she finds love on her own terms so, so when was it that you read jane eyre jacqueline wilson gave that, that was the first time i obviously we've all heard
0: of it yeah but i had never bothered to read it and and i read it and i felt like it was important to read it and she's and jacqueline unpicks it in her seminar okay. what really stri- strikes me again okay, this is only from writing my own novel okay every novel if it's set in the present time of what it's written reflects what's going culturally for example okay so i can only show you this when i wrote this novel i had about four editors all over it saying you can't write this because it's offensive or you can't use the word you know when you say oh that was crazy you know you can't write that word you know just as a a descriptive, you know, just a flippant one. Right. Yeah. Or well, certain things that you wouldn't think of and, and cultural culturally you think, oh and and I thought, okay, I'm gonna adhere to that because it's reflective of our times. Um what's the other one? Um Frankenstein, Mary Shelley. If you look at that Victorian, the way it's written, constructed, it's very sort of austere of its of its time. So looking, taking it to Jane Eyre, and the way it's written is really reflective of that time. So you're sort of getting a sense of what it is and how it was. And so, oh, my God, you know, chapeau, well done to this brave author that put it down like that into a character. That's even more, I, 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 it deserves even more credit because if you look at this, it's quite an austere, very, you know, oppressive and she had the courage to write it like that. I thought, you know, that character, that can't be easy. How, how did it make you feel when you, when you read it? I, like, I, th- I think you can feel, and the, and the way it's written is quite, I wouldn't say it's the most, it's quite, I found it quite cold in certain ways. She's not gushing. Like She's not the most emotive writer However, you sort of get a sense of her loneliness and, like, how curt it is. How So I felt a bit sorry for her. You know, she's having to clip herself, you
1: know, and be very contained. But then she's sort of quite stoic. This idea of having to clip yourself, yeah. having to stay um, contained, having to adhere to yeah. the the social mores and norms of the time. Yeah. Is it something that resonates with you as someone who was very young in the spotlight? Yeah. Um, scrutinized in the spotlight, especially for the early 2000s, um, the 90s? Can you remember feeling that pressure to be perfect?
0: I think we can put our own standards on ourselves. I think perfectionism, I mean, I think um, I can still, you know, we can. Be our own worst judge, you know, and what standards there are. And um, when I was younger, here's the gift of youth, right, that haven't fallen down too many times. And, you know, there's a sort of a youthful bravado, maybe a naivety as well. And so I'm, I felt quite, how would I put it, you know, I was quite gung ho. You know, my my elbows were out, uh, you know, or my shoulder. I I was crossing my arm here. You know, there was a bit of that coming along with it. And I don't know what gave me that, whether it was just instinct. It was the way I was. I was made that way. You know, my sister was born in the same family. She's very different to me. It's just I was made this way. I don't know why. Um, And then I think, you know, as one gets older, you suddenly start to feel, okay, I haven't got that useful bravado anymore. That ingenue that you can lean on. And so you, so you start to be a bit more considered, you know, when you... And, um, okay, I'll put it and use this analogy, right? Once I went to this ice skating. It was for a charity. And there was all these little kids and they were they were sick kids. And they are on the ice skates and they were whizzing around the ice ice ring, right? And they were just going for it. And then you look to the... And these were sick children, right? And then the mums and dads... They're all gripping to the sides, right? Because yeah. they know what it feels like to fall over. Yeah. I think that's the difference between, you know, the life experience. It can suddenly sense you a little bit
1: if you've fallen down. I think it's just life. Yeah. So, I was with some friends recently, we were talking about how wild and irresponsible we used to be but because we didn't know what the repercussions were yeah you didn't know you've just said it in one sentence
0: 100 percent. but then i think coming out the other side i would say when i you know now I'm, i'm 50 that um you suddenly go actually i'm standing on experience now before i had bravado and then I was sort of in no man's land. Now I've got, you know, I still don't have the answers. I'm, I am still make mistakes. I made some mistakes last week. I was like, oh, God. But actually, there's a little bit more. Co- the confidence is coming from a little bit of
1: trust in myself, my experience. Confidence does start to come from different places. I also think that um, your integrity as you get older, because you know what you like, you know what you yeah. care about, you know what you stand for. We were talking before about the importance of caring for others, of, of wanting to help others. You do so much charity work, um, Breast Cancer Care, The Prince's Trust, you're a Goodwill ambassador for the UN. How important is it for you to give to others? Actually,
0: I think it's uh, gratuitously giving or self... I get something out of giving. Okay, it's really simplified. You know, when you see somebody that that is asking for money in the street right, and they want a pound... Like they just or they just want they just want a little bit of money, and you give them that, don't you feel better?
1: Yeah, I, I would say when i um, I like work with a refugee charity, and I'm always like, it's quite selfish because I, it makes me feel really. Yeah, it's <laughs> selfishly giving. So actually, <laughs> doing I actually nothing exactly. There, so
0: there's a triangulation of like everybody win-win, and actually, I think the more I give to the world, the more I get back anyway in so many different ways. I think you know whether it's sharing my experience, whether it's sharing love, whether it's sharing uh, finance. It, I you know in any way, if, if, when I'm generous, I, my spirit feels like I feel good mm. about myself anyway. So that perhaps I'm selfish in that respect, but I think as I've grown older, I am saying that you know having children and and you know even with my husband. Just you wait, right? <laughs> that at their watching them triumph, and watching their journeys, and watching them win in big and small things, gives me just as great joy, or if not greater joy, than actually my own, which is quite a peculiar feeling. When I used to be like, ah, "Oh, this is what this
1: is about me." Okay, it's <laughs> the best me? feeling in the world. Yeah. just the other day, I remember looking looking around the room. And seeing all my friends and family having a wonderful time, like literally just dancing and having the best time. And my heart has never felt fuller.
0: Yeah, it's nice. Best feeling I think in the world. That's lovely. The best feeling in the world. And I think fundamentally human beings, we're meant to be connecting like yeah. that. But, you know, we're human. So, you know, we have our egos, our fears that, you
1: know, that goes uh, that sort of cripples that sometimes. And here we are. and um, We're sharing. That's, yeah. that's what it's all about. And it's time to share your fifth bookshelfy book now, Jerry. I was not expecting Henry VIII to come up so much during this chat, and he has. Um, and your fifth book is The Six Wives of Henry VIII by Antonia Fraser. In a sweeping narrative, Fraser traces the cultural, familial, and political roots of each of Henry's queens, pushes aside the stereotypes that have long defined them, which we were just speaking about, and illuminates the complex character of each. The result is a superb work of history, through which these six women become as memorable as their own achievements and mistakes, as they have always been for their fateful link to Henry VIII. Tell us a bit about this book. Um, so, when
0: I write, you know, part of it is you've got to research, mm-hmm. and and the novel that I have, I sort of turn, I sort of turn the volume up a tiny bit on reality in certain things, and certain, but a lot of the historical facts are truth. And so I was in a, like, I love just randomly going into bookshops and secondhand bookshops. And there is one locally to me. And I just saw this book and I picked it up. And I thought, well, this is useful. And what I liked about it is that I like, I'm very curious, but I'm lazy, Right, so I want to know the facts. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not, so I'm not, like it's almost like I've read physics books, but for kids. Does that make sense? And I get, a, I just want to get a handle of it. Yeah, really, just sort of know it, understand it a little bit.
1: Well, oh, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, breadth of knowledge over depth of knowledge. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, what I like about this book, you sort of get an understanding.
0: A very, it's, it's, it's simply put. It's not indulgent. And um, so you get a handle of each queen, and and they're humanized as well. So it, it's an e- it's quite an easy read, if
1: I'm honest, which pleased me. <laughs> um, yeah. But what what was it that you took from it that, that you? I mean, we've talked about Anne Boleyn, yeah.
0: already. You know, I'm, I'm on book two for Rosie and touches on Jane Seymour, but the Anne Boleyn thing, you just think it just sort of validifies what I thought. That She was completely thrown under the bus by men around her. There was Thomas Cromwell who started out as her ally because they shared the same interest in their their sort of uh, religious view. But as soon as he felt that she was wielding too much power, he was like, get rid of her, get rid of her. And threatened by, you know, there's a saying, the sharper the knife, the higher you, there's a saying, the higher you rise, the sharper the, the knives. Mm. And so her her power is rising. And and let's face it, haven't you seen it? Even modern days, everyone hates it when the wife is having too much influence on the leader. Oh, it's the classic trope, isn't it? Yeah. And so and he doesn't like it. So he thinks, okay, I'm going to fight. And he does it very, very cunningly. He puts another, you know, a much more um, complying female in front of Henry who and so he just and Henry's just, you know, going through whatever he's going through by that stage and entrenched in fear and guilt. And, um, and I, ju- I just read it and I just felt dreadfully sorry for this woman. If you humanise it, you're like, oh my God, this is awful.
1: We learn about um, Henry the Ape's wives as very two-dimensional at school and it's a, a huge part of the curriculum, um, but we don't give them any no. human qualities. Did you feel like you related to them when you read this? Did anything resonate with you on a personal level? Um... I think, you know, it's. I really, enjoy, I really
0: responded to seeing them as three-dimensional, as you said. Not perfect. None of them are perfect. Who is? Who so are not, yeah. No, no one is. Um, but I thought that was a really healthy way. And, and I just thought, actually, although this is all very entertaining and dramatic and, you know, we've all, you know, read about it, but actually this is real people um, to learn from it. And sometimes things don't. You know th- we've moved on dramatically in, a, in 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 well in this country, but in certain countries, not so much.
1: Looking back, Jerry, over your life and career, um, I would love to know what what work are you most proud of? Um, a very very interesting
0: question. Um, what can I say? I'd say a baby is better than a number one record. Yeah, that's the truth, isn't it? Yeah, that is very true. Um you know i've I've been very ambitious, and there's nothing wrong in that I think you know fa- I think it's fantastic, and I still am um but i I'd like to say that ambition sh- c- should be have a rebrand that you're allowed to be yeah. um having said that, it's balance, you know holding a like a trophy is not going to keep you warm at night, is it um and I've learned that. So, you know my family, I'm really proud you know that I'm in a loving relationship, and I've got some beautiful children. I would say that that that's very fulfilling, so it's balanced but equally you know to maintain your own identity and i'd i'd if I couldn't be creative i'd you know I'd feel like I was starving and um, so that's why I'm very, very grateful to be able to do something you know alongside and still show up for my family at the same time um so I think I'm very proud that, of them really if I'm honest.
1: Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I was asked the same question the other day what you're most proud of and I was like my relationships yeah with the people that I love. Yeah. I've got one final question yeah. for you Jerry before you you go. If you if you had to choose one book from the five that you brought today as a favorite, you look mortified that you've got to pick one, just one as a favorite. Which would it be, and why? Um,
0: I probably probably Hamnet. Yeah. I think that's probably the one that I'd take in ten years' time. I'd still mention it. Mm-hmm. I think that's it's It's in its own lane, and it and it. I love things that make you cry. And so I really feel like it sort of, it, it moved it it moved me, and I think yeah that's that's a book that will is timeless,
1: absolutely exquisite. Have you read it? Yes. Well, it, when it won the Women's Prize for Fiction, and then of of course um, the Marriage Portrait by Maggie O'Farrell. And Farrell, I don't know if if you've read that yet, so that was nominated, shortlisted last year, also absolutely. What's that about? Serious. Again, she's um she's taken a. a a, a sort of forgotten voice um queen lucrezia who's that she was i don't know who that is she was married off to a a duke much much older than her she was essentially a child at the time yeah um and she believes that he's trying to kill her um throughout the book because she can't produce a child um and it's just yeah written from her perspective someone that has sort of been forgotten through history apart from a portrait of her but, um, interesting, a, yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, <laughs> if you look at, like, again, you've said
0: the exactly same theme, okay, that you know, women, you've got to produce like a child. And, and then I thought what's really interesting that you may find, like Queen Elizabeth, I, if you just look at it on really basic human terms, right, imagine if you knew that your father killed your mother, right? What would, uh, that would put me off marriage. Yeah. No wonder Queen Elizabeth yeah. never married again. No wonder.
1: And yet the reasons that were assigned to her for, for not marrying are those classic words that are like given to women being bossy or difficult, you know, yeah. tyrannical. Yeah. And yet of course she wouldn't want to. If you um, Dad called called her Dad's mum. Yeah, no wonder. no wonder. No wonder. No wonder. I was like, okay, yeah, lay that one out, unpack it. I say like, I had no idea I'd come here today and find you to be such a history buff and I absolutely love it. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time um, to to join us to to chat about books, about history, about life. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Jerry. So nice. I'm Vic Hope, and you've been listening to the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Baileys and produced by Birdline Media. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.